start to get used to doing these things recently, so it's kind of a, a new vibe for me, podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was, it was a new vibe for me, like a year ago, I did my first live podcast, I did them on Zoom for a long time, uh, just because of COVID, you know, two years ago when I got started, and uh, I did it with this guy in Long Island, and it's kind of a, one of those things where the first couple minutes is a little weird, you're on camera, it's uncomfortable, and then you kind of forget about the camera. You got cameras up, yeah. So, you're the CEO of Azure, and we're sitting in your 3D printed studio, uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about the building we're in right now? Sure. So it's been uh, 3D printed <clears throat> in one piece, effectively. Uh, floor, walls, roof, uh, monolithically printed using uh, recycled polymer with, uh, with fiberglass. Um, and we use a, uh, a robotic arm that extrudes the uh, recycled polymer, lays it layer by layer, um, to uh, to create the um, the structure that we have, so we have two beads to go to the nuts and bolts. They're like half inch thick each one. Mm. One forms the forms the exterior layer. The other one kind of dives in and out to create our exterior wall geometry that gives us all the structural strength. And so dual extruder. No, one extruder, but it creates two layers. Two two beads, um, like one inside and one outside. Simultaneously. So one extruder splits the material flow at one point into two separate. As in, like, um, what are the two beads? It has a it has a a route. So if you imagine it's a perfect circle, mm -hmm. we've got an inner layer of the circle and an outer layer of the circle. Okay. It just, it just one one layer is to run around the outer circle and then the inner circle, and then it loops back and does the next layer of both. So yeah. one one extruder is 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 doing the layer for for okay. each. And so you have the between the inner and outer circle of the extruder head, one material, and then is there separate material in the center? Or it's just all one material? Uh, so like, what's best to, like, Single if, material? if you're picturing like, say, it's one material and it's laid by one extruder, it just creates, it creates voids and it creates channels that we then run our plumbing, we yeah, run out. Nice. So the interior, the interior surface is almost like, I can show you some photos like during the process, but we create kind of like a corrugated um, texture on the inside so that we're able to run wiring, plumbing, um, everything else from the inside after the print's complete. Then it gets spray foam insulation so that it's completely solid, <coughs> compact with uh, spray foam insulation before we then cover it with the interior finishes. So from the exterior, all the lines are basically unbroken, uncontinuous. If we were to take off the sheetrock behind us, we would see the spaces for the electrical and such. Yeah, so you'd see, you'd see like we form trapezoids effectively in the interior layer of, of print. So where these lights are set is obviously where one channel is. Then it dives back out, <clears throat> which is where we fix our. I mean, if you're gonna compare it with traditional construction, it's not too dissimilar from say like a. A joisted and framed house that you'll have we'll have joists which are our kind of interior print structure then it dives back out and actually joins with the outer layer <clears throat> so it becomes one thick layer and that's uh, and then comes back out again so we're creating almost like joist phase for everything to be running we're, we're, we're builders um, from uh, 
from previous, so we've tried to make the whole thing as simple as possible. Yeah, that cuts out a lot of steps uh, in terms of drilling through studs. Uh, so also having the path makes it maybe easier instead of having to map out from a blank canvas, there's a clear instruction. Yeah, for any like wiring, plumbing, right after every, every single bay or channel is connected up and over. Yeah, um, it seems like the training required for an electrician <laughs> would be much easier. Yeah, well, the, the assembly line process is, is very quick and easy for everyone after that print. So day one is the print, it comes off of the printer, it's then ready to be wired, plumbed, and then, uh, and then insulated. And then like day three, four, and five are close, closing the inside, applying the coating to the outside, and then and then adding the um, windows, doors, and um, finishes, so. Very cool, and um, at one point, I think I heard that this studio unit, how many square feet is it? This small one is like 120 square feet. 120 square feet was built for $25,000? Yeah. And so is that your cost, or a cost you'd be able to uh, provide it to customers at? That's our sale cost for the unit, as you see it kind of now. Lights fitted, finishes on the inside. Is that like a everything. guaranteed price? It's a starting from, so it doesn't include adding HVAC, adding solar, mm -hmm. you can have a solar battery. Um, so if someone places a pre-order with you, they won't have to pay a cent more than $24,000 for the base unit? No, if they're committing to this. Wow. Yeah. And what's the deposit required for that? Uh, just 100 bucks at the moment. So it's a, it's a refundable deposit. Once we have a confirmed delivery date, we'll then take 50%. And then, uh, and then the remaining fifty on delivery. So if they uh, want this unit, all they need is the money, obviously, and uh, land. Uh, it, here in California, there's a lot of promotion towards ADUs. Uh, how does that work? Uh, yeah, they. Uh, that's part of the reason why we created this hundred and twenty square foot because pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, we were building a lot of this size traditionally so people wanted an extra 120 square feet mainly because it's the limit for where you would need to pull a permit for a structure mm -hmm. so in most cities it's regarded as more of kind of shed size so 120 square feet is generally where they draw the line for it being a permitted structure if you're running power if you're running hvac then that's a separate permit but these that's why we created kind of this size because it's a hassle-free people don't have to wait the period of time to get a permit and then have it installed um, so we can effectively someone can place an order we can print it and produce it in, in like a week um, and then for ADUs they've obviously been um, particularly in California been super popular since the regulations changed a few years ago um, and uh, yeah anything over 120 square feet is a permitted structure so we have 180 a 360, 540, 720, 900, which range from the 180 is kind of like a tiny house setup. It's it's got a small bathroom, a small kitchen, and then a living space that's transferable into um, a bedroom mm -hmm. with a with a um, a bed that um, disappears into the into the ceiling. And then the 360 is more like a I don't know if you covered any like probably not in 3D printing, but like garage conversions. Typical garage is, a, two, is a, a 20 by 20 and it fits generally like a, a bathroom in the corner, a kitchenette adjacent and then kind of an open studio, sure. almost like a studio apartment size. And then the 540, 720 are one bedrooms and the 900 is a two bedroom. So 
yeah, we cover a range, and we've we've uh, the pre the pre sale you were mentioning, we've <clears throat> effectively sold about five and a half million um, dollars worth of units. I think the most popular is the one twenty, um, but uh, but there's a number of um, the rest is a pretty even split between the other sizes, um, and people are using them for. ADUs, but we've also got developers that are using them as um, single-family homes or homes for rent. Um, there's one developer that's got 13 um, 540s and one 900 going in that's going to be homes that he's going to have on a rental basis. Yeah, I could see something like this having maybe a loft and being a tiny Airbnb even, like it's yeah. something like that. Uh, or if you could stack them or something. I'm sure you're thinking of all kinds of uh, different ideas for the future, and you just being here in your facility, you've got a lot of different stuff going on. You have some prefab on the other side. Uh, before we get into the, your construction company, before you started this, what does this need to sit on? So like a four-inch concrete slab, or in California? These don't even need a slab because we because the floor is structural. We print the floor. Wow. <clears throat> it, it can sit as a kind of conventional crawl space. So, so you need ground testing. Just before? needs a just needs a stem wall um, foundation around the mm -hmm. perimeter for to span the um, distance, which has a few advantages. We've done a number of prefabs in the past and when you're when you're landing a prefab onto a slab, then the difficulties you have from a site perspective <laughs> Oh well <laughs> um, got a spare shirt upstairs if you want to wear an Azure one. Uh, I have an extra shirt in my yeah. car, actually. Yeah. That was stupid. <laughs> you know, we can give you an Azure shirt. <laughs> that was my suggestion. Alright, we're still going. Okay, new shirt. And we were talking about your construction company. So before... Actually, we were talking about the STEM foundation. Yeah. Uh, what's the size of that stem? How deep does it have to be? Uh, into the ground is... Um, it depends on the soil conditions, but... A minimum is usually like 24 inches, mm -hmm. um, but they're the kind of things that, because we can't predict where it's going or or what the conditions are, what type of soil it's going onto, whether whether it's a hillside or whatever, those sorts of things are down to kind of a local um, architect engineer to. Yeah, the hills we give, we give fast. Exactly, we give them the the module sizes and the and the structural information they need for those, and then they calc out the. Uh, the uh, foundation requirements, but in ideal conditions with flat ground and good soil, uh, maybe a ten thousand dollar expense for the slab and the electrical. Uh, for the for the foundation, maybe um, yeah, between five and seven. You, again, an electrical is something that you can't necessarily put a number on because you don't know where it's running from. Mm -hmm. If it's running. 200 feet from, from the street or from the house, 100 feet, you. yeah, 100 feet from the house, but like there's some pretty big backyards, <laughs> you don't necessarily know how far you're True. trenching and, uh, and running cables, so that's a bit of a variable that has to be kind of quoted on on um, site plans. But so 10 to 15 maybe, so yeah, roughly, yeah, yeah. Construction's tough, the estimates never are the same as the uh, ASGO, especially with custom one off projects, if you're doing a lot of ADUs, a lot of studios, it's, you have enough data to get those numbers tighter. Um, let's talk about your construction experience. So 
when did you start your construction company? Uh, the company Azure we started in 2019. Um, okay. So literally just before the pandemic, um, and we started it. I mean, our our um, mantra was being trustworthy, timely, and innovative. And so we already <clears throat> had visions of creating something. That doesn't sound like a construction company. No, exactly. We're we're trying to um, improve the uh, reputation of construction companies and and. Uh, I mean, I've I've had a construction company back in the UK as well, and and I was seeing the same similarities to, to kind of the challenges uh, back there. That your <clears throat> people want something quick and easy, like they do for everything else, um, and to to have people working, especially when you're doing back um, ADUs in people's backyards, you're they're looking out the window to see if people are there at eight thirty. They're the, and if they're there earlier and they've got people hammering nails in the back of their um, um, backyard whilst people are trying to sleep or if they've got a Zoom call, especially during the pandemic, nice. people yeah. are trying to work in their main house whilst work's going on in the back and it just makes a very kind of... So how did you accommodate all of that before this solution? Uh, we, we started to, we were doing very traditional stuff, but we were starting to move towards more kind of pre-panelized um, and as you can see next door, like prefab, but more of a traditional sense of like still frame um, prefab. Offsite. Yeah, um, moving as much of the process offsite as we could so that the timeline onsite is reduced. And we ultimately have come to this because we see it as being the most uh, time saving, uh, time saving um, solution. So, um, yeah, trying to make it as hassle free and as easy um, a transaction for a homeowner as possible because mm -hmm. that's the biggest kind of deterrent for homeowners and it's the biggest kind of stress and um, whatnot that people experience when they undertake a, a home renovation or a new build project that it's uh, it's, a, it's a stress on the purse strings but it's also a stress on kind of the time and um, and uh, noise that kind of comes with it so reducing both of those both both of those things down was a huge um, objective for us and yeah with this we feel like we've 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 got a good a good uh, a good solution so you started azor uh as a gc in 2019 yeah cool and how many adus have you done since then adus in backyard studios we've done close to 40. we've had nice. a few um a number of remodels and um, new builds as well and with what size team is that starting and then now today um, when we started out, it was, uh, I guess four of us, um, when we first started, we have a team, we have a payroll of, uh, of 13 now. Um, so we have a number of project managers and, 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 uh, and site guys, but yeah, a lot of our, especially for our bigger projects, a lot of our work is, um, subcontracted to, to our specialists. I saw you had about five units, uh, starting the skeletons being built on the other side, uh, What's going on with those? They're sold already. Yeah, that's more of a kind of custom prefab. So mm -hmm. um, that's going to a client as an ADU as well. One one uh, ADU that's eight hundred square feet, like a spacious one bedroom. Um, but I mean, you can kind of see from that skeleton how the process that we've got to is so much. Like we're having a frame <laughs> prefabricated in steel. Then we're having um, the the stuff work added to the outside. We're 
adding a roof where um, adding a membrane on the outside where adding the siding <clears throat> and the sheathing it's like there's a lot that goes into just getting to that stage mm -hmm. but with this the fact that day two we're already wiring and plumbing it's like that that first day of having a print that um, collects together so many different trades is, is just a huge um, efficiency yeah and to get this building and the the robotic arm you have outside, did you raise investor capital or are you funding it through your GC operation? Uh, a little bit of both, um, mainly the second one. We only up until recently we have had a um, some investor um, angel investments come in, and we've also just started a uh, a crowdfunding page because mm -hmm. because we've been um, because the small amount of marketing that we have done has has done so well. We um, we know that we need second, third. We have we have room here in this facility for to have three printers running um, at the same time, so we can be producing three units per day. Um, so we want, we're we're raising money at the moment to fund the the second and the third one, and then hopefully beyond that, we're looking at the next facility. Cool. And you mentioned it's not just going to be a simple robotic arm. There's a little bit of a, a contraption in that apparatus. Uh, it's kind of unique, yeah. Um, totally unique. Yeah, we uh, we might share that on our next uh, when we invite you down. Once everything's running, you can get a, uh, a behind the scenes on uh, on on how it runs. But yeah, it's uh, essentially an extrusion from a robotic arm, but it's kind of a unique element to it that that helps us uh, achieve the size of print that we are able to we're able to do. So you're, we're set inside a ten by twelve here, but we'll be doing. Um, the outside to outside structure will be 10 by 19. Maybe um, it will enable more round shapes. Yeah. I mean, the, the, again, that's the whole thing. Some people will ask us, why did you, why didn't you just go square? I said, well, <laughs> we can build square out of any other, uh, product. The beauty of having a, um, a, uh, a robotic print is that we can create all sorts of shapes and, and, uh, and design. So, um, that's the ambition is just to kind of come up with lots of different um, ways of creating it. The other really good answer for circles versus squares is more uh, square feet inside compared to the perimeter. So you're using less material and getting more uh, roof space. Yeah, exactly. Space. Yeah, yeah. What kind of design elements with the new possibilities the technology will enable uh, are you going to bring to construction? Uh, a lot of people try to make the technology fit the paradigm of traditional construction and make a house that looks uh, traditional, but I'm hoping maybe you have some ideas against that in <laughs> yeah. a different direction. I mean, this one is slightly unique. What we've, uh, we've just released uh, another um, design model, which is more of a kind of traditional look. Sure. It has a pitched roof. That's more, that's more aimed towards our, our people that have more of a traditional you perspective. You pull them uh, into the new world. Like that, was the, that was the motivation was to, yeah, get, show them something that was not too dissimilar to what they know, but, but creating a shell for it that's been 3D printed. Like how Tesla had a, a fake grill on their first cars and their first grill, but people uh, thought it looked funny, but now they don't have the grill. So uh, what will your 3D printed house look like without grills? <laughs> um, we have a few napkin uh, napkin designs that 
haven't necessarily uh, seen their full uh, form yet, but we have a lot of ideas of, of what we can uh, sure. what we can do with it. Um, we effectively have a um, footprint that we can print, and the possibilities and the parameters beyond that are kind of, and the interpretations beyond that are kind of endless. We 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 see it's kind of a um, a process, but the first process is us creating something that proves the efficiency, proves how quickly it can be done, and it brings then time and cost savings to to everybody. But then the only way we're gonna achieve that is is by having a set number of models that we're printing, a set number of footprints that we're printing. But once we have proved that out and we're moving on to the next stage, it's then gonna be more about customizing, moving back to kind of having a custom printed house <clears throat> that's prefab rather than okay, you can select from this yeah. size or that size. So once we have our um, our proof of the efficiency, we can then move almost back to having more of a custom approach and say, look, this is the footprint. You can create whatever module shape you want to do. These are the parameters for the um, for the structure that can be done. And there's a, there's a little bit more of a play for the home owner end user to, to influence how the structure looks so that people are getting their own custom designs um, yeah, rather than picking from a selection. What's the best way to get this thing on the back of a truck? What's the best way? So this will be uh, rolled onto a flatbed and then it just uh, gets picked up when it gets to the site and, and craned into, into position. By hooks on a, on a roof or? No, it's slung from the, uh, from the underside. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a very um, safe and structurally sound way of, uh, of picking it up. So Not nerve-wracking at all? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things are nerve-wracking in the beginning as you're just getting started. You've never done it before, so uh, it's, you got to establish that baseline. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing that we, uh, we've, we've lifted and placed um, prefab units before. So. Mm -hmm. In the same sort of way, so at least from that side of things, we've uh, we know that that works, and then yeah, the the structure itself, um, we uh, we have uh, full confidence in. But yeah, when you're when you're attempting something for the first time, there's always going to be um, a few nerves. Yeah, I like that you're innovating within a cash flowing business. A lot of startups start think they think can only innovate and they think that like with the ideas in their head they can like just create something that's going to be useful for society but by having a business that's like you have purchases you have sales you're working building stuff right now uh it just seems like a better way to do it to me especially as the economy shifting and like there's a little less funny money in the investor realm uh people's crypto holdings are what they used to be um maybe that's not something to laugh about but the having a business, not just a startup, I think adds a lot of value, and it gives you the construction experience too. Yeah, for sure. I feel like coming from construction backgrounds gives us a lot of insights and a lot of benefits. Um, and yeah, it's not been easy to kind of have this almost like passion project on the side, build and grow. Um, but uh, we're kind of sensing now that it's it's acceleration that's now going to kind of move us on to um, reaching the people and reaching the kind of production levels that we want to get to. Um, this is effectively a, a proof of uh, 
of, of what can be done and what can be achieved and, and the next stage is to be proving the production rate that we know we can achieve and, 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 and show the efficiencies that that creates. Yeah, manufacturing hell, some would call it. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's an interesting setup you have that's like one third this side for the robotics and then you have two thirds dedicated right now to the prefab construction. Uh, I think it'll be telling this area maybe will be with half the space producing more units at a certain point. It's gonna, it's, I mean, you, you'll come back in uh, a couple of months time and um, the, the 20 foot wall you see in front of you now will be completely opened up mm. and our production will start at that end um, of the facility. We'll have the, hopefully before too long, the three printers alongside each other, both producing one each day. <clears throat> and then the assembly line will work its way down. We'll have spray booths for the insulation. We'll have spray booths for the um, for the coating on the outside. And then this area that we'll set in here is kind of where all the finishes um, happen before it then um, is loaded onto the flatbeds out the door and heading out. Because and and again, how we picture it is that because this part of the whole process is is uh, so efficient. We almost need to wait for the heads up and the green light from the site to say, yep, utilities are in, the foundation's ready, and then we'll almost start production. Because mm -hmm. uh, um, at that point, we'll, have, we'll, we'll know that we can kind of ship as soon as it's um, complete and ready so that we're not getting um, stacked up with, uh, with completed units. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful thing logistically if you can have just-in-time uh, production. Yeah. Um, what kind of lessons that you learned from the more traditionally built, even offsite ADUs that you're going to bring into this that you're kind of eager for not to have to deal with anymore? Um, interesting question. I think one of the hardest things in, in construction is, is uh, kind of client relationships. Because if you're if, especially if you're in for the long haul on a on a new build or something like that, it's, you're <laughs> you're I call it a relationship because it effectively is you're like committing to somebody for sometimes if we're doing a new build it's like a year beyond a year mm -hmm. um, for some of these kind of we've done garage conversions as ADUs they can they can take kind of like three four months you're you're um, your day to day interaction and uh, and everything else is a huge um, challenge, I'm sure not just for um, our experiences, but being able to have, like we see in so many other walks of life, like you're buying a car, it's a very clean transaction, usually <laughs> for having a completed car, kind of either you're picking up off the forecourt or it's being delivered to you. Some companies make it easier than others. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it should be construction can and should be a lot more a lot cleaner in its in its uh, transaction than so I mean that's how we we come at this from so many different angles we come at, come at it from a construction perspective a prefab perspective and a three D three D printing technology perspective so like having having kind of three D printing competitors um, using different materials but printing on site. <clears throat> is a is a step towards improving a traditional um, a traditional process of say laying block or um, or pouring in place concrete walls. But you're you're only 
making that one process of the whole um, of the whole construction process that a little bit more efficient. So if you're doing a new build, you're still you're probably saving a huge amount of time on laying block or or forming walls and pouring in place. Um, but you're ultimately still completing the rest of the building in a more traditional way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Construction's not like other industries always. Uh, maybe with younger guys it's different, but when I was working construction jobs with older guys, it wasn't a, the relationships weren't about please and thank you. It was about the three principles, or at least two of the principles you mentioned earlier, like trust and timeliness. Uh, they don't care if you're a felon or like construction has all kinds of people from different walks of life, but if you're trustworthy and you're timely, uh, those are like the most valuable commodities. Definitely. Uh, I think it's probably easy to build relationships in construction if you can deliver on those things consistently. Yeah. Uh, but is the only way to do that by reducing the people? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, the, like any I agree. like any business, it's, it's kind of taking away some of the unknowns and some of the risk mitigating some of the risks and having a controlled environment where the you're repeating the same processes um to create something with a certain amount of customization like we're not i'm not saying that we're we're creating just kind of one look and one um finish but there's there's definitely customization that um homeowners have for these units but if you're if we're kind of yeah reducing some of the outside risks where you're building a building a, a new home or even just a small ADU. You might a small ADU might have up to fifty people um, that you're relying upon. In directly or indirectly. Sure. They're all part of the process and, and each one of those fifty can can have a human error or a bottleneck. Yeah. Something that can cause a delay or cause a quality issue or cause something that's gonna affect um, the product at the end of the day so having more of a controlled um, delivery of of, uh, of construction means that yeah those risks are definitely being mitigated one thing to think about just for fun like Tesla's new gigafactory has these hexagons in the floor so it's four floors and their robotic arms are passing parts up and down through the floors instead of just like left down right front back uh, so they totally just like demolished the production line mentality. Yeah, another dimension. Yeah, you guys need a loft. So yeah, you can pass the, yeah, the yeah. windows down or prepare the electrical and drop it in. Robotic arm from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we that's that's where we see the company going. We've automated the process for day one, and and that takes very little kind of um, supervision um, once it's up and running. Mm -hmm. Um, but days four to five can come down to, uh, sorry, days two to five can come down from like, um, from four days to more like two, potentially three days. So having a situation where we're giving more responsibility to a robotic arm or, or something similar that is maybe applying the spray insulation or applying the coating on the outside, it's we can we can move more towards a yeah a car manufacturing um, assembly line uh, rather than a uh, a traditional construction one. Yeah, there's no shortage of aspects of the job uh, left to automate. There's yeah. so much left to be in terms of the roof, the windows, even the electrical and plumbing and stuff is done by hand now. Yeah. Like, 
all that can be electrical. So the, the electrical in the walls, is that held there with some kind of staple or what's the... Yeah, that's, at the moment it's pretty traditional. It's just got the regular kind of wire clips that are fixed back to the structure. Um, so yeah, same way it would be. With a steel plate over it or...? Uh, no, just, uh, just clip loose. Um, so what if you start drilling into the wall? I mean, they're deep. They're not. Um, the they're not on the surface. Yeah. Not in the. No, they are, but they're like uh, again. It's, it's similar to any other um, home. Not every uh, not every wire is going to be um, protected. Um, and the thickness of the walls, like ten inches, or these walls, the print thickness is uh, six inches, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, half inch of drywall. So. Yeah. What's the insulation or is the print the insulation? No, there's a spray foam insulation that goes in after all the wiring and, and plumbing's been done and that's uh, we actually have got R30 on all um, what, four sides of this print um, so over a five and a half inch thick uh, void we fill it with closed foam um, closed cell spray foam insulation which gets our R30 um, so when we're shipping to other states, we have um, a slightly deeper profile that allows us to um, to pack more insulation in there to create the R values that we need for different environments. Cool. So what's the thing that you need the most right now? Is it? I mean, you have projects you're working on. There's activity busy. Do you need employees, funding, uh, clients? Um, I guess. Funding is the top of the tree because that that leads us to be able to um, attack all the elements mm-hmm. that we need. So, for us to cater to the I guess waiting list that we have at the moment, we need inventory <clears throat> up front ready to serve um, the printer, ready to serve each section of the assembly line. Um, we'll be in the next uh, couple of months. We'll be needing to hire another probably 10 guys, half of which would be on the factory floor, half of which would be kind of running and, and organizing and managing um, the orders. Let's say you don't get funding. You've got that printer there. You can start producing some number of units without funding, I imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're online to have this uh, production line of one printer starting in October. Um, and uh, and there's nothing kind of stopping us from from creating that. Um, as I mentioned, it's more just kind of being able to keep our foot on the gas and uh, and kind of accelerate to to the next level um, mm-hmm. at this stage because what everything everything has a kind of lead time. So the more that we can, um, the, I mean the the printer that you saw where waiting on parts that are, have taken kind of three months to, to, to get. So um, some of the material, just even windows and doors can take kind of uh, two months at the moment in, in the current climate. So the more things that we can have ready to go in our hands brings back some of that control in terms of where we're, where we're going. When you take on investors, are they buying into the whole GC, like the prefab stuff too, or is it separate entities? Uh, no, it's all one. So wow. Printed Homes is taking um, construction as well. I mean, we're, we see that the construction side will maintain, if not kind of grow 
within the printed home side of things because we'll have all of the um, site work, we'll have all of the trenching, the utility runs, the um, the foundations and, and the installations that will come with it. So um, there's still going to be a big revenue just from um, just from that side of the thing. Did you base your evaluation on the cash flow or the kind of IP in the startup? Uh, it's probably more of a question from a business point of view. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think a bit of both. Um, our crowdfunding one was, I think, maybe based on um, both cash flow and. Can and you IP. say the valuation on the crowdfunding platform? Yeah, I mean it's public uh, knowledge on there. I think it's twenty four million is the valuation on on uh, on Republic. Um, I would say the valuation jumps, at least in my eyes, after you're producing units in-house with that printer. Uh, so I would think it would be advantageous to wait until after that to raise money, no? Uh, but it's a good opportunity before then. For potentially, me. yeah. It definitely would make me sleep better at night. But I mean, the the that's the selling point for anyone getting involved now is that they're, they'd be getting in just before that jump happens. Mm -hmm. So like if we can... Our republic is at a million um, at the moment. If we can, if we can raise a million on there, those people might see a huge jump um, by the end of the year once once that production line is is running. So um, yeah, I mean, and you're so far right now that a million dollars could really take you a long way. Yeah, even we almost need to spend just half of that on on uh, inventory and stock, so that come come uh, October we have. Our print material ready to go. We have um, the rest of the building materials kind of lined up. A million Stops bucks should be enough for ready to go. three printers and a, a, enough material to build at least uh, I don't know hundred units, something like that. I mean, our our printers are um, are around five hundred. Uh, wow. Each. Um, is that with the whole apparatus? The whole system. Yeah. Each system is about five hundred. Mm -hmm. So uh, so yeah, we're a million will get us maybe uh, everything we need for our second printer and, and probably um, inventory that we need to start servicing those orders as soon as uh, the production line starts in October. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Somebody should contact Hydra and have them make like a big press for, uh, they can spit things out like this of aluminum, some kind of steel alloy. Did you guys consider anything like that? Um, or other types of construction? Yeah, I mean, we were drawn to um, polymer just because the uh, just because it gave us so many um, properties that were useful to us so having it as our membrane having it as our roofing finish <clears throat> means that, that one day print is yeah bringing so many different things together mm -hmm. if we were using a cement based or potentially a metal um, then, uh, then we might not be getting all of the exact same um, uses out of it. To, to be able to print an inch thick of this material, I guess if you're comparing quantity of material to what we benefit from it, this is what we saw as being the, um, the most optimal. Mm -hmm. um, if you're gonna print, <clears throat> print an inch thick of um, metal, then your expense for each one is going to be significantly higher. Yeah, certainly. Um, but you wouldn't need an inch of metal. Not f no, well, no, not a full inch, but you'd, you'd probably be uh, 
you wouldn't be able to do it as uh, as thin as you would need to compare the cost. I mean, the you basically just have a shipping container at that point. Yeah, the material cost for this is like um, the print material is like six six grand. About a shipping container. Yeah, I don't know. Shipping containers are more expensive now, but you those units going to Palm Springs, how many square feet are they each? Uh, that's that's uh, 20 by 8, so we have uh, five of them. 20 by 8, so 160 square feet. And are they ADUs or standalone? They all, they're being, uh, they're modular, so oh, they're, cool. they're joined to create one 800 square foot, one bedroom unit. Oh, nice, nice. That makes a little more sense. Yeah. <laughs> and that size is optimal for transportation. Yeah, so all of our modules that we create are going to be um, a similar sort of size, like nine and a half feet wide. <clears throat> um, Those points you were bringing up earlier, the sound, the noise, waking up early uh, for people having an ADU built in their backyard, are those the primary benefits or is there a cost benefit? Uh, I mean, we, we see it as a cost benefit here in California. I mean, it, it might not necessarily translate across the country. Um, your cost? In California, the average cost per square foot is like 350 or 60 yeah. square foot. And these are 225 for the unit itself, not including the foundation and utility connection. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, with that all in, you might need to be add, adding another kind of 30%. Um, but uh, Right around that 350. Yeah, yeah. What is California going to do about the homeless problem here? Or has that changed at all in the past? Uh... That's one of the conversations that I've passed on to my business partner this morning. We've got um, a company that we're speaking with that we're, <clears throat> we're discussing uh, how we can uh, how we can help on that um, side of things. We've spoken, this is the second company that we've spoken to that are involved in that um, process here in um, LA. So, <clears throat> We see, it, we, see it as a good, we see it as a potential good fit for having, whether it's a dedicated production line um, to create um, a specific uh, home based on the requirements that they would need for um, homeless housing. Then. Everyone's seen the $100,000 tents headline. I mean, this is a lot more compelling than a tent uh, if it can be transported within reason that's the main drawback compared to a tent, but at $100,000, it's hard to imagine you can't find some margin in there to ship it. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're thinking that a 180 unit that we produced for $40,000 would, um, would be a good fit for uh, homeless housing. And the benefit from their perspective is that they're getting something that has a longer life than a tent and, and anything that they're kind of producing or, or using now that they might be, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're spending, but they'd be, they'd be uh, investing in more years of use. And these are bolted to a foundation, so I mean, ultimately they can be unbolted and taken to a new location um, if they needed to be. I mean, that's what we say to our homeowners, if you put one of these in your, in your backyard and you decide a, I want to move it across the other side of the yard or I want to take it with me when I move house then that, that is a possibility you can just disconnect it from the foundation and then you're away yeah a big part of the reason I started this channel was to try to find a 
construction method that uses automation to make construction cheaper, figure out how to get more houses built, and like the uh, imagining world where the supply of housing is like drastically outweighs demand and the housing becomes very affordable. Uh, and I think automation is going to eventually do that. So I guess like, would that decrease the price of housing for everybody if somebody can get a house for cheaper or what, how does that change the world? Yeah, I think uh, like there's a couple of things that makes me think of that there is a, a little bit of reservation in terms of is it going to take away jobs necessarily? I doubt it. Yeah, I think that at the moment we have a supply line that is way below the, the demand requirement and we're probably not, if anything, it's going to bring more people in but increase that supply line to a lot closer to what the demand is. So I, I don't see it as a negative on that. I hear way too many of these companies hiring to imagine that it's taking away jobs. They can't exactly. get the jobs that they have. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost just we're going to be, even if it's the same level of, uh, of, of jobs that are currently out there, it's just going to mean that the same level of jobs are creating like 10 times as many, uh, it also as many homes. It increases the appeal. Like a young person might want to build homes with Azure rather than your, like, they want to work on this side, not yeah. that side. Yeah. Uh, and also, they, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. Sorry, you were... But the, 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 so all of those things you would think are going to afford, I shouldn't use the word afford because I'm about to use, like, are going to lend themselves to more affordable um, housing. Having a supply line that is just getting more and more efficient in terms of how... Cause I, yeah, material cost is a big part of um, building, but labor is also a huge um, yeah, the cost for it. So there. And you're decreasing the barrier to entry by making things like electrical installation more simple. So yeah. the it's easier for people to do these skilled jobs that aren't being filled right now in traditional roles. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the uh, printed houses, like applying that to the homeless problem, from what I've seen, the city that has dealt with their homeless problem the best is actually Houston, Texas. Uh, they had, I think, like between 3,000 and 10,000 homeless people, and they put together a program to do some kind of temporary housing, and then I don't know exactly how it worked. There's some kind of work program where they like upgrade through a ladder system and eventually get. Uh, there's like a person in society with a job and a life. And uh, part of the reason I actually set up a studio in Houston to try to learn more about that. Maybe I can meet some of the people that went through the program and mm -hmm. see uh, how it applies. But LA has like 100,000 or more people. So who knows what the solution is? Uh, I think we should look to Houston. <laughs> yeah. No, it needs to definitely be an investment in um, not just thinking... Uh, that giving them a home will, will solve the fact that they're homeless. It's, uh, there's a lot more kind of support and more of a program, as you say, that needs to go into place to, to, to help people um, uh, yeah, keep their home and keep on uh, and rebuilding their life with, as you say, a job and, and a community around them that's going to that's gonna support them. So. Um, I wouldn't discount the value of a home in achieving that. I think it's like it's a huge step for the people who are really in need to uh, 
it's like maybe a good combination of a home and like somebody to care a little bit yeah or something uh, yeah I'm not talking ourselves out of a sale it's definitely the home is a big part of it but it's, not the, important it's part, not the yeah. like the bottom of the pyramid exactly yeah there's the 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 uh, yeah they have the support system that goes along with it is going to be a huge part um, to to kind of maintain it and not mean that those communities that you're creating are then left to um, to either return to previous ways or or uh, or create yeah you know, something that is more detrimental than beneficial. You guys doing an NFT project? Uh, of course, not yet. about it. Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, it's bad timing. Yeah, exactly. Um, nothing, uh, nothing right now. I almost asked that jokingly because everybody has an NFT project. It's like whatever. <laughs> Web three, but some there's potential for cool ideas there if you're making utility out of the blockchain. Yeah. Uh, I think if it's not a utility based thing though, it's probably going to be wasteful. Another group I visited that's doing drone construction wants to build like the base pyramid. Ever so that with Adobe, you just build it, have it always just autonomously constructing bigger and bigger until it's bigger than the pyramids. Wow, it's, they're calling it the pyramid scheme <laughs> NFT. <laughs> so, I think that it's good uh, poking fun at the Web3 people. Yeah, I, mean, I like things that are real. Yeah, I mean, the people that whose minds are blown by 3D printing, I'm, I'm one of those. That's, my mind's more blown by NFT and the whole kind of. Uh, um, system so yeah there's the uh, kind of like a magic quality to 3D printing even NFTs where people get excited about it uh, and there's sometimes a gap between their imagination and the reality of the print or the reality of the process and the challenges that go with it uh, how do you navigate the okay, were you there when this was printed yeah yeah were there challenges yeah um the uh, they're all challenges that I guess well most of them the, the there's certain minor blips and defects that you will see on this that won't be on future ones because of, of lessons learned sure but there's uh, things that are going to be inherent which are like um, there's so many benefits of using a recycled polymer with, with fiberglass but one of the negatives is that it has a as it's as it's cooling <clears throat> layer by layer you you tend to get um, some warp so um, as the it's something that we can and we are um, uh, attempting solutions to to improve but the amount of warp you get isn't significant it's, it's still within kind of construction build tolerances um, but in in the strive for perfecting the process is one thing that we um, we're, we're looking at to improve which is yeah it's, a, it's finding a way whether it's the environment that you're printing in the optimal temperature but finding a way that you're not having a completely cool base whilst you're printing at 250 degrees C on the top layer and then you're having that heat change between layers causing it to um, causing stresses to um, pull away from each other then that's where you get the warp. If we can kind of keep the temperature more consistent mm -hmm. as the layers go up, then it will mean that um, it all cools at a more regulated uh, level across each of the layers and, and the warp doesn't occur. So that's something that we're working on. 
Um, Much more similar to traditional 3D printing than concrete printing. Yeah. Uh, so are you printing on a heated bed? Yeah, that's one of the um, steps, but because we're printing 10 feet high, we're all, there's a big, there's almost like a big section in the middle that's not getting that level of heat. So the, mm -hmm. the bed's keeping the bottom layers warm and then we've got hot layers laying on top, but that middle section is, is what we're working out how to- You need to print in a sauna or something. Exactly, yeah. Turn out to turn out to sixty degrees. I mean, it's going to be the space that the printers are going to be uh, set are going to be, is going to be conditioned. But yeah, whether we can have it at a level that it needs whilst being a workable space is going to be the challenge. Better yet, uh, make it not a workable space so that it's fully automated. Yeah, yeah. Big motivator to have the heat. People won't want to be in there. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, we need. I mean, we'll. Uh, We'll need to kind of work out what the optimal solution is, but yeah, it's, that's that's one of the challenges that we get with um, we don't get the say the cracks and fissures that might build up in a in a concrete print, but we yeah we have different challenges that um, that we uh, we'll probably work on and continue to work on until um, we find a new one. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you'll be able to raise a million bucks with the crowdfunding thing, uh, no problem. Yeah, and that should accelerate things for you guys quite a bit. That's the hope, yeah. And if with those three units, printing one a day, that puts you at a thousand a year output. Yeah. As a reference point, there's a company called Boxable uh, with a little bit more expensive unit, I guess similar price point. They've put out maybe 150 units at this point and they just raised money at a $3 billion valuation. So. Oh, wow. Uh, once you get to that 150 mark, maybe start asking questions about yeah. billions. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the benefit for anyone that gets in now is that they could see that next valuation being a huge, a huge jump. Yeah, I don't know if the uh, their timing might have been pretty lucky with like the November, December economy, right. everything changing these days. Yeah, yeah. But who knows uh, where the world is going to go next. I mean, wherever it's going, affordable housing is still going to be needed. Even if it goes south, then then affordable housing is going to become more, more popular. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we see there always being a demand, and that's what we've. I mean, we released the new models I mentioned uh, over the weekend, and we had a huge influx influx just off of that um, unit that we released. I think we had like one point three million of orders or pre orders in like a four, five day period. So there's, even in the current kind of climate, there's still huge uh, interest. Yeah, you've got over 100 pre-orders at least. So how long, if somebody orders one now, when do you expect to deliver that unit, the backlog? It depends on the second and third printer. Sure. I mean, uh, worst case scenario, we're printing off of one, five million of, uh, five and a half million of orders effectively is six, just over six months of production. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's that's our kind of motivation and drive to kind of add to that one printer. So From October, yeah. so maybe in April, if somebody orders now, they could potentially, all things going decently well, get it in April, maybe earlier if you raise the million, get three printers going. Exactly. What's your lead time on a printer? So if you raise the money, how long till you get the new unit? Uh, these parts have been kind of it's like two to three months to get the parts and then it's a month to assemble so three to four month 
um, from from the point of order to yeah. having an operating printer. Yeah, supply chain is so unpredictable. Yeah, that's the challenge. And what else? Um, I mean, these are probably <clears throat> very different to other 3D printing uh, processes that you've seen, I would assume. I mean, coming at it from more of a prefab than a site build uh, perspective. Um, I have seen Mighty Buildings UV cure process uh, in their facility in uh, San Francisco, I think. Is it Herb Oakland? Yeah. Was that, were they printing uh, panels or were they printing? Uh, they were printing uh, ADU. Um, the, they have like an inner shell and then it's covered from the inside and the outside. I've seen a lot of the comments, people saying stuff about UV cured polymers, uh, that it's like toxic potentially or that it shouldn't be outside. I know you have the coating and the toxicity thing is a weird one because dentists have been using UV cured polymers uh, in your teeth for a long time. Do uh, you have anything to say about that stuff? I mean, we haven't seen any, uh, from our initial test, we haven't seen any um, like people often ask about outgassing and, and microplastics, but um, we haven't seen anything from initial testing and, and the fact that ours is effectively sealed on both sides so you don't see any printed surface on the inside and, and on the outside it's all um, coated um, anyway so there's not, there's not anything that is, uh, is exposed to even potentially um, release anything so I feel like that second layer of defense on top of the fact that we haven't seen anything um, in our testing yet. I mean, kind of like polymers like ABS, we tend to get a little bit more um, off-gassing uh, off and things like that, but with, uh, with our polymer, we haven't, we haven't seen anything yet. Is yours more like PLA or TPA or? It's a PETG. Sure. Um, not too dissimilar to from this. So it's like um, organically based. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, yeah, safe for food and storage and everything else. So um, it's uh, it's a relatively docile um, polymer. Yeah, that uh, we eat a credit card or we go plastic thing was debunked. So you don't have to. It's probably some plastic, but not a credit card worth. Exactly. But the future for Azure. You trying to scale up to thousands and millions of houses? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, as I say, we see it as a combination. What we've created is kind of a combination of, of lots of different things, and 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 essentially, it's coming out as a almost a new category of construction. Yeah. Um, and we see that as being hugely popular down the line. So we don't necessarily see an end game. We see that with the green, we'll say with the environment in mind, we we don't really want to be having a mega factory based here in um, California shipping to Florida and Massachusetts and Washington and all, all four corners of the states. We, we see that this facility with the three printers will produce three a day. 
we've already had inquiries from those four corners of the states, but we see that, uh, and and for the early inquiries, they'll, they'll probably be served by this facility. Mm-hmm. But we kind of see that the benefit, rather than having shipping costs across um, across the states, we'll have, production. We'll have yeah, mo- micro facilities in in the areas that that have the demand for the units where we can replicate the same assembly line. It's all very automated, so it's going to be quite easy to recreate in, in multiple different locations. So um, that's going to be the, the strategy having, yeah, going from facility to facility and, and, and recreating um, what we'll have here. So Do you intend on owning and operating all those facilities or maybe a franchise kind of model? Or? Um, I don't know. Operating is how we see it at the moment. Um, and even beyond the states, we're getting inquiries from Europe, we're getting inquiries from Australia, East Asia, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's uh, starting here in the states, but yeah, it has huge potential to go um, global as well. Certainly, and right now, are there any positions you're hiring for, or are you waiting until the fundraising is complete? Yeah, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. Um, but as I say, within the next couple of months, it's going to be, um, it's going to be engineers. It's going to be factory floor assembly line. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be sales. It's going to be finance. It's going to be. So if someone's listening and they want to start in a few months, uh, like what kind of qualities are you looking for? Um, definitely forward thinking, innovative, um, and uh, we come from very much a kind of growth mindset. Um, try to thought where um, we're all we're all improving and developing each day. No one has the uh, no one's the finished article. So having a uh, mindset where you're going to come in and uh, and bring everything that you've got and also um, soak everything out off of the people around you and, and just improve um, the processes around you, improve the um, the the processing concept that we we have for the future is, is what we're we're looking for. I want I want people I want people around me that are gonna improve me as well. As yeah. well as the as well as the rest of the team. So um so yeah. It's uh it's a very um it's a very exciting um time to to be involved. Um we effectively are kind of We've been around for three years, but we're we're still in that startup mentality. So there's a lot of uh, I wear a lot of hats. Everyone else involved in the company wears a lot of hats. This is in a lot of ways a new venture. Uh, you were yeah. still in construction, so many parts are the same. Yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're interested in those kinds of people. Yeah. Personally, what I like to pay the most attention to is pace of innovation in the companies that I check out. So. Uh, this kind of establishes the baseline, and you made some very bold predictions. Uh, if twenty five percent of them come true in twice as much time, I think it'll be an amazing thing to see. And I can't wait to see the uh, the progress. And the I'll certainly stop by again next time I'm in LA to see how far you guys have come from sure. from now. Yeah, yeah. And this is a. I mean, you got the printer outside. This is your first unit. So uh, even though your company's three years old, the the printing startup is really starting to get running now. It's kind of hitting the ground. So. Yeah, I mean, with the website went live uh, b- 
beginning of January. So it's cool. it's it's uh it's very new and fresh. It's been something that we've been growing for like the last year and a half. But like, I'm sure you've been thinking about it for a long time. Maybe oh, yeah. even like as a kid playing with Legos or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Is there anything left unsaid that? Uh... uh, not that I can think of. Ron, is there anything we need to? I think we've plugged everything we need to plug. And there's, we've covered all the details that I can think of. Cool. Well, like I said, this is a great starting point to uh, start the comparisons of how fast you innovate. So we'll see what comes next and what's here the, the next time I'm able to stop by. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Good to meet you. So that was good. You guys have your 